I truly believe like if you're looking for your purpose or your meaning in life and you have no idea where to go, sit down, find some stillness and think about what scares you the most and head towards that thing. And fear is the compass that leads us to freedom. And so if you really want to live this life fully and openly and connect with people in the most, more beautiful way than you can ever imagine and have real compassion for the world and evolve as a human and elevate your consciousness, is get outside your comfort zone. Go do things that make you uncomfortable. And as you expand your comfort zone, you realize, oh, wow, nothing makes me uncomfortable. What is that? That's real freedom. Hey, this is Joe Holly, eight-year NFL veteran and founder of The Heart Collective, and I am on the game plan. Hey, this is Tim Cott. Hey, and I'm Jacob Poor, and we are back with another great episode of The Game Plan. These are athlete stories that will help you raise your game in business and in life. Jay, this episode, you had the chance to speak with former NFL offensive lineman, Joe Hawley. What did you guys end up discussing? Yeah, Tim, this was a really life-affirming conversation with former NFL center Joe Hawley. So Joe, as most folks might not know, played eight years in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Atlanta Falcons. And at the end of that you know, period, he had offers to go play for other teams. But I think where he was kind of at in his life, and you hear him tell that story, he was ready for that next phase, for that next adventure. So Joe decided to go and get a camper van and travel around the United States, visiting you know, all parts of the country, and really getting in touch with a different side of himself, the side that didn't have anything to do with football. And what I really loved about the story was just him not knowing what the next step was and the fear that maybe comes with that, but what he did to actually overcome it and some of the stuff he did with his video blog, the media he created, and then even the, the work that he's doing now as an entrepreneur. So it all really is a great, well-connected story. And Joe tells it in a fantastic way. Yeah, and you're starting to key in on it a little bit, but for our listeners who maybe have never even heard of Joe Hawley before, what's something that they can kind of key in on this episode for their own personal life as they listen to your conversation with Joe? You know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the game plan, we've done it over the last two seasons, is this idea of athletes and individuals really broadly becoming media companies and the act of putting your own content, your own media out there. You and I are doing it right now. And Joe talks about overcoming that fear, right? Putting his face out there in a video blog. It was called the Man Van Dog Blog, and it's still up there. You can go find some of the old episodes. And he shares this personal, I think, journey that he had to go through to be okay with putting that content out there. And I think an interesting thing that happens is when you overcome that first barrier of fear, then some of the other barriers that maybe give you some fear in life start to feel a little bit less meaningful and you're able to conquer them. And so hear his story and you'll actually hear him talk about three years ago, four years ago, what a different person he was. And now having put all this content out there, having built multiple podcasts, and now you know as an entrepreneur with the Heart Collective, he's a very different person. And I think some of the journey that he's gone through has unlocked that for him. And you know some stories that may be helpful to our uh, listeners as they unlock that for themselves. Yeah, I know our listeners will appreciate it. And you're seeing this too at the college level with the unlocking of NIL rights and how there's athletes out there who might not have a future in terms of sports at the next level, but are starting to use their platform for other media opportunities, whether it's as an influencer or just putting content out there. And so that's been really fun to watch. And I'm excited for our listeners to hear your conversation with Joe. Well, without further ado, let's jump into it. This conversation with our guest, Joe Hawley, former NFL center and now founder of The Heart Collective. Joe Hawley, thanks so much for joining me on The Game Plan today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited about the conversation we're about to have. 
Me too, man. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you and there's so much for us to get into from the Man Van Dog blog to Heart Collective and then Life Beyond the Game podcast. Where I would love to start actually is at the end of your pro football career. And, you know, I've heard you say that a lot of NFL players, they don't really get closure when they retire. And in some ways it makes it hard to move on to sort of find the next thing after football. When did you start to think about what came next for you and how did that thing become traveling the country in a camper van? Oh, man. Where do I start? It's definitely been a long journey. The last three years, it's going on four years. It feels like it's been lifetimes since I played the game of football. But where it began, football's hard. It's, it's one of the most high anxiety, kind of like stressful environments that you need to show up. And for me, it was, you know, I was kind of the guy that always had to prove myself. I felt like the teams were always trying to find a way to replace me. I was kind of that middle tier player. I had started in almost 50 games, played in 90, and it was like a really up and down career. I'd lost my starting job five different times for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, one time they drafted a, a first overall, not first overall, but first round pick at center that replaced me. Kind of felt like the rug was ripped out from under me. Nobody told me that. He took my starting job, worked my way back to earn it back from him after he got benched. Then I blew my knee out week four of that season. Then I got cut after coming back from that knee, knee injury. And then I went down to Tampa, had a resurgence of my career, won the starting job there, played two years. And then going into, you know, after my seventh year, going into my eighth and final year, you know, I'd started the previous two seasons and they brought me back and then they told me, you know, you're gonna be competing for the starting job with this younger guy who actually played left guard next to me. And they wanted to move him over to center to kind of groom him as center. And they said it was an open competition, but I quickly realized they've kind of brought me back to be a mentor to him. Yep. And they had already made up their minds, which is a lot of times the case. You know, front office has an idea of who they want their roster to be. Very rarely does that change unless you really impress them or there's an injury that happens. But they have an idea before that season. So, you know, I went in week one of that game, lost the starting job. Week one of that, that season, we were playing the Chicago Bears. And I was on the sidelines in my street clothes as an inactive player. And as the offense got ready to take the field, you know, I kind of was giving the O-line a pump-up speech and like, let's go, you got this. And they took the field, and it was the first time in my entire 16-year football career that I was okay without being out there. I had lost that fire, that desire to compete with the best in the world. I still love the game of football, but it had been this slow process, especially after injury. You know, my knee injury was my fifth year, and just my body was deteriorating. I felt broken. And I was tired of having to prove myself over and over again. And like I had proven to myself, like I got this, I got this. And I was just tired and, and ready for the next thing. And so in that moment, I decided, okay, this is gonna be my last season. And I'm really grateful for that because I think a lot of guys, their seasons or their careers are over before they're ready for them to be. I would say over 90% of guys, you know, all athletics, like their careers are over before they're usually taken from them for a wide variety of reasons. And I was able to really experience that final season with such deep presence and gratitude. And like I soaked it all in, all the challenges, all the hardship, all the good times. And I was really present with the whole experience knowing that that was gonna be my last year playing. And it happens, it was really cool. The, the universe kind of gave me this, this opportunity. I think like week 12 or 13 of that season, two guys went on IR in the same game, two offensive linemen. And so the following week, I actually got my number called to be a starter again. And so I had been on the bench for 12, 13 weeks. And so I kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I was trying to stay in good shape, game shape, but it's really hard in an NFL season to stay in game shape if you're not playing actual games because the practices get considerably easier as you go on because the starters are just so beat up and so the tempo really goes down. Yeah. And so I was really nervous actually. I was like, I don't know if I can still do this. I don't know if I can still play with the best in the world. You know, I'm not as strong as I was. I'm not in game shape. And it's really cool because it turns out I ended up playing the five best games in my entire career. 
And it was really cool to experience that because I yeah. knew that I was deciding to walk away on my own terms. It wasn't because I didn't have it anymore. It wasn't because I couldn't play or perform anymore. It was because I was ready to move on. And it was there was a lot of power in that decision for me to move on. And then, you know, three weeks after that final game, that's when like everything kind of hit me, the finality of it. I felt like there was a void in my heart and there was just a lot of deep grieving that needed to take place. It's obviously a huge transition and identity crisis. And it's funny because I was always somebody that while I was playing, I always told myself football is what I do. It's not who I am. And I was always proud of that. And then, you know, very quickly after I realized, holy shit, that's a way bigger part of who I am than I gave credit for. And now I need to go on this journey to really figure out who I am for myself and how I fit into the world without this thing that has defined me for so long. Yeah, I appreciate that because I, I hear that term from a lot of athletes where they say, oh, it's, it's just a part of what I do. It's not who I am. And I appreciate the honesty in saying, like, you didn't really realize the scope to which it really was such a big part of you. I think football more so than maybe a lot of sports, just because it demands so much of you in the season. I feel like it doesn't let athletes figure out who they are or what they want to be until the offseason. A lot of guys are rehabbing in the offseason. They're going through surgeries. So it really doesn't leave a lot of time to, to maybe figure out what it is that you want to do when that sort of final season comes. Is there something that you would have done differently sort of looking back to maybe discover those interests or find a path to that post-career transition? Or is that just not a part of, of playing in the NFL? Yeah. In all honesty, I think, you know, for someone to say, and they tell you this all the time as a player, like, make sure you have a backup plan. Make sure you know what you're going to do when you're done. NFL stands for not for long. You're not going to be playing this game for, for your whole life. But, I mean, unless you're actually playing, you don't really understand. Like, you can't have a backup plan. It is such a highly competitive environment. There's only so many roster spots that if you're not singularly focused on being the best football player you can be, then you're not going to make it and you're not going to stay in the NFL. It's kind of ignorant for people to be like, hey, make sure you have a backup plan. Because if I start thinking about something else, I'm not going to be the best football player. And it takes literally micro percentages better each day to stay and be the best in the world. And so for me, I mean, I started probably halfway through my career really expanding my mind. I started reading more books. I started meditating. I started really diving into kind of learning more about the world and who I am in this kind of spiritual path. And I'm really grateful for that. I think one thing I would change differently is probably start reading earlier and reading books. But, you know, I have no regrets. I think my journey, you know, there was a lot to process because I had such an up and down career. And I feel like I didn't really achieve everything I set out to as an NFL player. Like I said, I started lost my starting job. I always wanted to be like the guy, right? I wanted to be a 10-year starter at center, make a Pro Bowl, win a Super Bowl, like all these high goals and standards for myself. Yeah. And objectively, you can look at my career and say, oh, you played eight years in the NFL. You started 50 games. You played in almost 100. Like you did it. You lived it. But for me, I never really felt like I had the career that I wanted. And on this journey over the last three or four years, I've been able to really process that and understand that all the lessons that I went through, lifetimes worth of lessons. And like, that's what we talked about before the podcast, like athletes go through so much challenge, adversity, yeah. having to handle limiting beliefs, handling failures, handling fears, physically demanding, like taking care of your body, like all these things. And as I've reflected on that, being out in kind of the real world, trying to figure out who I am. I've realized, wow, the, all those lessons got me to who I am. And who I am is not a football player. Like That's not a result of me being lucky and good at the game. The reason I made it so far is because of who I am and what I'm capable of to get me there, to overcome the challenges and the adversities. And all those lessons that I learned have really accelerated my growth and my ability to you know, find that deeper meaning and purpose outside of sports. 
I appreciate that because I think a lot of our listeners probably don't realize that like most players, even the ones that have an eight year career in the NFL, they're 30, 31 by the time they retire. I mean, you, you know, have such a long career by traditional standards ahead of you. And yet by the time you turn 30, you have been at the top 1% of a thing. You are clearly in the highest, you know, echelon of people that are doing a thing, even if you're not necessarily having the career that you thought you would have, right? You're still achieving at a very high level. And then I think it's this idea of starting over. And I'm always fascinated by it because, you know, again, with, with COVID and everything, a lot of people have been rethinking their careers. They've been rethinking, do I want to go back to work? Do I want to shift careers? And this idea of starting from zero is really daunting. It's a very, very sort of emotionally weighing thing where people that maybe want to do something different are worried about taking that risk. I would love your perspective on going from being in the top 1% of people to do something, dealing with that loss of identity, but then finding self-confidence to to do something new. Where does that strength come from to go and, and explore that sort of new side of you? The one thing I really miss about football is being that good at something. Like, you know, when you're playing, when I was playing, I didn't have time to really appreciate what it meant to be in the NFL. And then now that I've had time to reflect on it, like, wow, I was literally one of the top 10 at my position in the world at something. And I miss being that good at something, like really f- like dominating another human physically, mentally, and just being able to like play the game. And that's really hard to let go of. And there is a grieving process that needs to take place. I think one of the issues with, you know, specifically I can talk to the NFL, but I think in all athletics, it's in our culture and society, there's no kind of ritual process of closure, of giving people the space to honor what they've accomplished, properly grieve the loss of it, and then develop the tools to move forward. You know, and that's what I'm working on creating with the Heart Collective. And we can talk a little bit about that later. And what was the initial question? I apologize. No, no worries. I think the the way that I'm sort of thinking about it, right, is that how are some of the lessons that you've learned in applying that as you have now gone through to sort of like find the self-confidence? Are there tools that you rely on to say, look, I did it once before. I did it in a different career path. I know I can do it here. Are there, you know, things that you sort of fall back on and lean back on? Because it is hard. You know, it's, it's hard to know if you will be as good at the new thing as you were at the old thing. And I think that's the reason that a lot of people maybe don't take on challenges, don't take on entrepreneurship. So as somebody who's done that, I'm, I'm curious, what gives you that strength? Yeah, it's interesting. I said, it takes a lot of courage. And for me, I was confronted, and I think a lot of guys are confronted with this question of, of who am I without this thing that has defined me for so long? And that question was really, really strong, like right in my awareness. And I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was capable of. And there was a part of me that was really, really quite excited about experiencing the freedom from the game because it is. it almost like became like the self-created prison that I built around myself. Because I had to, and I truly believe this, and I'm sure you can relate to this, and anybody listening to this that has found any type of success, you have to become the thing you want to accomplish before you get there, right? And so for me, to make it to the NFL, I had to build up this ego construct, this story of that's who I am. So you can't necessarily go do that without building up that construct and that story of who you are to reach that level. And so the challenge becomes, how do I deconstruct that ego story and come back to the base level and rebuild it up. 
And a lot of people talk about like an ego death and it's very much relatable to that. It's an identity crisis because the identity that you build up for yourself and how you relate to the world has been so defined by this thing and it had to be, there's nothing wrong with that. But the challenge comes, how do you deconstruct that story and come to the the base foundation of who you are? And I've realized who I am, like I said earlier, is not a football player. Who I am is what got me to be one of the best in the world at one of the most challenging and most statistically hard things to do, which is make it to the NFL and stay in for eight years. And so really doing a lot of self-reflection. And that's why I decided to hit the road. I mean, I, I wanted to know who I was without this story I built for myself. So what I did is I gave away all my possessions to charity. If it didn't fit in my van, I just let it go. And then I bought a van, I rescued a dog, and I traveled the country. And I didn't really know where that trip was going to lead me. I just knew I needed to get moving and go experience life to the fullest. And a part of me was really excited about that freedom. But there was another part of me that was really trying to figure it out. And that journey taught me so much. I traveled the country for the better part of two years and met a lot of amazing people and did a lot of deeper healing. Started physically with my body. My body was broken down really got into doing yoga and really taking care of my body. I learned about nutrition and feeling my body right. Obviously, there's this underlying fear of the CTE and the brain trauma and all that research that's coming out with football players. And so that was this underlying fear as well. And so I started diving into how can I take care of my brain better and be proactive so I'm not just waiting for my brain to deteriorate and learning about neuroplasticity and neurogenesis there's a lot of ways to take care of the brain. First with nutrition, there's a lot of really healthy brain foods. And then, you know, creating new neural connections and neural pathways in the brain, ways to do that are travel, novel experiences, because you're expanding your brain chemistry, reading, learning new things, challenging yourself in new endeavors, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. And really like, I had to take my ego down a step and realize, okay, I have to have this beginner's mind. I don't know it all. And in order to do that, I have to go learn as fast as I can. And, you know, towards the end of my career, I started really diving into business and realizing if I want to have an impact in the world, entrepreneurship is the way to go. And so I started just consuming all of these books and all these business books. And the same common theme throughout all of them is what I understood is you have to go try it. You can read all the books in the world, but until you actually go on the journey and fail, you're not going to learn anything. And reflecting back on my athletic career, like the reason I was so successful is because of my ability to handle failure. And so I realized the faster I fail, the faster I learn, the faster I'll grow. And so I just dove in. I had no idea what I was doing when I traveled in the van. I just, I remember the first campsite I, I pulled up to, I had to ask the guy that worked there, like, how do I plug in my van to the thing and my water? Like, I had no idea. I just had the humility to just ask the questions, you know, and then I started getting into investing. My first company I invested in was a total flop. It cost me probably 120 grand and got in business with a guy that I should not have been doing business with. But I don't regret that at all because the lessons I learned from that whole entire experience was incredible. And, you know, now looking back three years and, you know, really getting into the startup game and really love the investment journey. It's just so much fun to like support founders and businesses without actually having to be the person that executes on them. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, couple that with me starting my own business and the challenges I faced through that, I've actually learned very quickly what kind of questions to ask. And I can ask them from a place of confidence because I know, you know, how are you going to sell this thing? How are you going to execute? How are you going to do this? And I have all these questions that I can ask from a place of knowing. When I first got into that first investment, I, I was so insecure. I didn't know what to ask. I was like, let's just go for it. And then I <laughs> learned very quickly, okay, this isn't going to work. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. This is how you can like work with people, communicate properly, understand what people are trying to do. And so all those lessons have got me to where I'm at. And I think my accelerated growth is my desire to go out into the world and just experience it fully and not be scared of failure because failure is where the biggest lessons happen. I love that answer because to me, what it sounds like is, you know, 
part of being a professional athlete is not just the stuff that you're doing in the training room or in the practice field, but it's also the study, right? It's also learning, hey, what's my opponent doing? How do I adjust to it? What are the things that I'm making? You know, I'm not as limber as I was when I was a rookie. What are the adjustments that I have to make to be able to, you know, be successful in the game? And applying that same mindset, I think a lot of athletes that we've talked to that have had success in the business world, it's a very similar theme. It's, hey, you apply yourself the same way to this new thing, the way that you did to whatever made you great at, at your sport. I would love the, the sort of like, if there was a moment that you kind of felt like, okay, this is working, right? Nobody's born a natural content creator. So you go out there with Man Van Dog Blog, you're making these videos and, and they're very fun, they're very engaging. Was there a moment or an experience where you were like, yeah, you know what? I, I can do this. I can create YouTube videos and make it fun for people. And, and it's actually engaging. That's an interesting part of the journey. I mean, when I decided to hit the road, honestly, the reason I started the blog was because, okay, I want to get into business. So this is a great way to get my feet wet without any putting any pressure on myself. So I started an LLC. I bought everything and the gas mileage and put it all through the business. I started a little Shopify store and created some branding. I hired a branding design company that helped me with the brand. And so it was really fun to like kind of start creating a business just for the intention of going and traveling and see what it turns into. So I learned a lot through that as far as the back end business stuff. And then as far as like the blog, I was like, okay, I can, I can do a blog. Like people do blogs all the time. And so initially I was going to do like writing, right? I have this story of like, I'm a terrible writer. I've never written anything in my life. I couldn't even journal because I was just judging myself when I journal on my own page. And there's been a lot of growth through that. But I, I thought it was so funny. So I sat down one night before I hit the road. I was like, I'm going to write the first blog post. And I spent hours just typing. And then I finally went back and reread it. And I was like, that is terrible. Like, what am I thinking? I'm going to start a written blog. And so I started confront was confronted with all this fear and judgment and like, man, what are you doing? You can't do this. And then I realized like, you know what I can do? Like YouTube. I love, I have a, a creative flair with visual stuff. I know how to edit stuff. I can put music to stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start that. And so the first YouTube video, you can go see it. It's called, uh, Hey y'all. It's my first YouTube video I ever made. And I'm literally in my house. Everything's packed up and I have a GoPro. And I literally cannot talk to a camera. And I don't know anybody that's a content creator can probably relate to this. The first time you try to speak to a camera, it's so funny because you know you can edit it afterwards. But I, I'm trying to be perfect. It's just like when I write, it's like I need to be perfect instead of just like putting my words on the page. I like couldn't talk. I just kept saying, hey, y'all. And I would freeze. Hey, y'all. And so I called my sister and I was like, I, I can't do this either. And she's like, you got this. I'm really grateful for her because she was really the encouragement I needed during this thing. And so I decided you know what, I'm just going to edit this all together and just make kind of a funny video of how hard it is to start. And I'm really grateful I did that because it gave me the confidence. It got some good feedback. And during that process, I actually really dove into a lot of Gary V stuff. I found out about Gary V and he's obviously one of the biggest influencers and content creators. And that's all his content's around is how to create content and create a following and create community. And I'm really grateful for that because I dove into all his books and really learned like, okay, it's it's about being raw and authentic and vulnerable, not perfect. And so that really helped me you know, and then I hit the road and, you know, I started making these YouTube videos and doing the Instagram. And I quickly realized, you know, this is fast forward, probably six to eight months into the trip that I asked myself the question, okay, what do I want to do with this? You know, like, do I want to become a content creator? Do I want to become a YouTuber? Do I want to become an influencer? Because I can put my energy into this and grow this thing. I can do anything I put my mind to, but is this really what I'm called to do? Do I want to try and gain followers for the sake of gaining followers and influence? Or do I want to build something of impact and have the following kind of find me because of what I'm doing in the world? And I think this is a big issue that we're facing 
especially like with the younger generation coming in, like everybody wants to be an influencer. And so we've created this influencer culture where everybody's looking to get followers so they can have influence. I truly believe if you go create impact in the world or make a difference in any way, that will naturally happen. And that's the old way it has happened. Mm. And so people are kind of putting the cart before the horse trying to like, you know, and there's all these different ways to use the algorithms and create community, create influence. And so people are kind of hacking this influencer thing and they don't actually have any substance to provide and make change in the world. That's just what I see. And so I was confronted with that question and I started realizing every time I was focused on making the YouTube videos, they, they took a lot of energy, a lot of time. And the biggest thing was they took away from me being present for the experience that was unfolding. So anytime I was like, okay, it's been two weeks, I need to create a YouTube video, I'd go to like a national park and I would show up. And every time I was there, I was thinking, okay, is this a good shot? Is this a good shot? And I was just thinking about the content that I was creating rather than being present with the experience. And I think I did a good job of like balancing that because like a lot of times I put all the cameras down and I would just enjoy the experience. But then I would be like, okay, I need, and I started feeling this pressure because my community was growing. I was getting like 20, 30,000 views on my videos. I had like 50,000 followers on Instagram and I started, it was growing, but then I felt the pressure of having to show up for my audience. And so it was just, I just like, I don't want to feel like that. You know, I don't want to feel like I have to create this. It's not like feeding me anymore. And so that began a long journey of really figuring out what my actual purpose is. What do I want to create? And I, you know, I'm really grateful for that whole journey because it made me realize that I have a platform to inspire people because all of the messages I would get from people that were following me and, and hearing about my journey and watching my YouTube videos it inspired me so much. It filled my heart. I was like, okay, I want to have an impact. I want to help people. It makes me feel good. And obviously me just going out making the decision and living life is inspiring people. So how can I take this and make something of it? And then that led the long journey into, okay, how do I create impact? And then I started getting into business and uh, started making a lot of mistakes, but I think I'm finally starting to figure it out. <laughs> it's an interesting point you make there because I think we, we're hearing this more and more in this like influencer creator economy bit where it's like, you're hearing about the burnout, right? You're hearing about YouTubers that are like, I'm taking the next six months off. I got to go figure this out. And, and part of it is like, you know, to, to sort of paraphrase what you're saying, you have to feed the beast because people can do a lot of things with their time and attention. And if they're not hooked on you, they're, they're going to somebody else. And if that's not, it's not your calling, that's not really where you want to be spending your time, then it takes something that was, you know, maybe created joy in the beginning, and has now turned it into a real chore. And we feel the same way. We're both fans of Gary Vee because when I started this podcast, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, look, how do we make these conversations authentic? And I think if folks go back to like our very first episode with Jake Plummer, like we were very, very stiff. We we're like, okay, how do we talk to somebody? And it just, again, it's it, the thing that takes time. And if you keep drawing joy from it, still makes it fun. I will say, Joe, you have three podcasts now. So you have continued to create like a content empire and I guess the through line is that you're a part of each of them, right? So Quantum Coffee, you've got uh, the one that you do with your wife, and then obviously uh, Life Beyond the Games. Is there a theme to all the shows? Is there something specific that you're hoping to build with each of these shows? I mean, what's sort of the idea of the, the Joe Holly podcast empire? First of all, just the context of the podcast. I started all these podcasts at the start of COVID, finally had some time to sit down and, okay, what do I want to create? And the initial vision was Quantum Coffee, I really love just talking about the unanswerable questions of the universe and just, you know, just exploring what this reality is and who we are. And so that was the initial podcast that I really just, you know, let's dive in. And like you said, like it's, there takes a lot of courage just to start because it's not going to be perfect. And I'm really grateful that I did because now, you know, my podcasting and holding conversation and flows of conversations is tenfold, hundredfold than what it was when I started. So if you're thinking about starting something, the key is just to start. Nobody's going to be listening to the first few anyway. So just, just keep creating. You'll get better. But I kind of cast this wide net of like, I didn't really know what 
to do or what was going to work. And so, you know, I started Quantum Coffee and then I created Life Beyond the Game because I'm creating the community, the Heart Collective, which is focused on athletes, which that's continuing to evolve now, just even currently. So I can talk a little bit about that. But I wanted to make sure I had a podcast talking about bringing athletes on, talking about their transition. Then I had Quantum Coffee. And then the love and life, you know, me and my wife had a lot of time and we had a really amazing story. We literally met the first day of, of quarantine. She stayed over and we, and now we're married and have a kid and we're just, it's just like this quarantine love story. And so if you want to go listen to love and life, it's six episodes and it's a really creative podcast with like a lot of sound effects and music and storytelling. And I think it's very unique. And the initial plan was, and she, my wife has two podcasts. We were actually thinking about starting a podcast company because we had really figured out the system and processes to make, take a lot of the energy off the content creator. So all I do is show up and record podcasts. I have a team that books, edits, promotes all that stuff and filling that team in allows me to just do what I love, which is a huge part of this because podcasting is a lot of energy if you haven't figured it out yet. But right now, I mean, even just uh, two months ago, I've decided to merge Life Beyond the Game and Quantum Coffee because what I found is as I started, I've realized what Quantum Coffee is becoming and what, what it wants to become and kind of the flow and the topics I'm talking about. And I've realized that really the life beyond the game, the athletes that I have on there that are really focused on this deeper healing journey, kind of a similar journey that I've been on, really trying to figure out who they are, would have been perfect fits for Quantum Coffee. And so instead of splitting the audience, I've decided to merge them. So that just happened about two months ago. And then, you know, me and my wife had to do a hard reflection of like, what's the intention of love and life? Where are we going to take this? It's a lot of energy. She's doing a big startup company right now. I obviously have my business and my podcast. And so we had a real tough conversation. Like, is this where we want to put our energy? Because like I said, with the Man Van Dog blog, it's, we can do it, but it's like, it has to be a focus for it to get anywhere else. We're just wasting our time if we're not going to promote it and actually grow it. And so we decided to take a step back from that. And it's really cool that it still lives there because people can kind of learn about us and our, yeah. our origin story. But now the focus is really quantum coffee because I really know what it's becoming and the momentum starting to build and grow and then focusing on the business. Yeah. It's cool that I think we are in this phase now of like media driving new kinds of opportunities, right? And so for you, that's the Heart Collective. So talk to us a little bit about what the Heart Collective is, how exactly you're able to support male professional athletes and what they're doing, you know, life after. And, and so as I was looking about it, it looked like coaching, but it looked like retreats. Help me understand the story a little bit more and, and where you're able to be there for your customers. I actually just want to say one more thing because I think this will be beneficial for any content creators or influencers out there. And the reason I decided to go podcast route as far as instead of YouTube or Instagram, I love podcasting because first of all, it's a lot more intimate experience. Like if someone's listening to my podcast, they actually get to know me. If they're looking at me through a screen on Instagram, it's it's a very foggy lens of what's actually going on. I think a lot of people can understand that. But when I listen to podcasts and other people, I really fall in love with them and who they are and I can understand who they are and the content. I just get so much value out of it. And so as a content creator, I kind of landed on, I want to start a podcast because not only does it feed my soul, like this conversation, I'm actually learning something from you, but it actually expands my network because everybody I have on the podcast all of a sudden becomes a connection that I can lean on or reach out to and feel supported by. And then, you know, having a team on the back end, I can take my podcast and I can chop it up into smaller pieces of content, promote that on Instagram, promote that on my newsletter. I can have my team actually dictate some of this and quotes. And so as a content creator, if you're really feeling overwhelmed with all the different things like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, podcasting, newsletter, like all this stuff is a lot. And so for me, I've realized if I can, you know, I focus on writing a weekly newsletter and do, doing the podcast. And then I have a team that can take that and chop that up into all the other resources. And so that's just a little, you know, tidbit for people that are, are really feeling overwhelmed or burnt out. It's like, how can you focus your energy on what you love and then have people that can really split that up for you? 
Did you get that from Gary Vee? Because that's actually exactly the strategy that we follow with the show. So when we were starting out and, and I was feeling this is about, you know, February 2020. So about uh, three weeks before the pandemic hit and we went from recording live in person to like really in quickly. a supply closet. <laughs> and I was like, well, what am I going to do? So we said, OK, let's take the Zoom video. Let's turn it into these little social clips. And it's funny to me now, Joe, that I get people to come up to us all the time and say, oh, my God, we love the podcast. And I say, well, what episode did you listen to? They said, no, I follow every clip that you put out on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And, you know, yeah, maybe I've heard one or two episodes all the way through, but they still feel like they have a connection with the show. And as I've gone back and looked at the data, yeah, we're probably doing 10x the views on social than we are on the show. And that's okay. It used to bother me initially. I was like, why aren't we converting? Come into and listen to my show so I get the numbers yeah. up. <laughs> and then over time, I was like, you know what? If the little clips are helping people, if the little clips are giving somebody the empowerment they need to like go do the thing that they have to go do today, then that's the product. The product isn't the episode. The product is the show. I'm curious if you got that from Gary Vee because that's who I stole it from. It very well could have been. I dove into his. Like, what I do is when I want to learn something, I just dive right in and consume it for like a few months. Like I just did this with cryptocurrency like six months ago. I spent like three months, like just five hours a day, just digesting YouTube videos, books, reading about it. And now I just, I'm not as engaged with it because I understand the ecosystem better. And so I just do that. So during that initial phase, I just like learned all this stuff and, you know, slowly started realizing how to make it work for me, but it is a process. And I think, you know, like you said, focusing on why you're doing it, what's your, why do you want to impact people not focused on the numbers? Cause that it's really a challenge, even with people that are, you know, big hearts and really focused on helping people like those numbers get in the way sometimes is you just really have to find balance within yourself. Yeah. So the heart collective has been a real, real journey. And I love being an entrepreneur because I think being an entrepreneur is the best opportunity for self-growth because it's going to challenge you and your stories in such profound ways. You know, so at, towards the end of my man van dog blog journey, uh, I started asking the question, okay, now what? Like, what's my purpose? So I kind of delayed that question that most athletes ask themselves, like, okay, now what? I was like, I'm just going to go travel and enjoy my freedom. And then it started fading. And I was like, okay, not really, now what? And so I started thinking, you know, <laughs> how can I have an impact? What should I build? And I got this, you know, intuitive hit that, you know, you're going to start a community for former athletes because they need this work. And if there was a community for me to plug into afterwards, that would have helped me on this journey. It would have been profound for me. And I, you know, did some research. There's nothing out there like that. Started diving into the resources that, you know, specifically the NFL, but a lot of the major sports leagues, the resources they provide former athletes is very minimal. It's almost laughable. And it's, like I said earlier, it's, it's a real challenge because there's no, you know, there's no proper ritual to kind of go on this journey and, and figure out the tools to figure out who you are after the game. And it's almost like you feel like chewed up and spit out. And and so that started me on the journey. When I when I first got that insight, I was scared shitless. Like so much fear because, you know, a little context, part of my journey and the reason I didn't feel like I ever reached my highest potential in the football is because I never stepped up as a leader, the leader that I knew I could be. And on reflection, there's so many times throughout my career when I had this intuitive hit, like now's the time to give a speech or maybe call someone out that they're not doing the right thing or reignite the vision of what we're trying to do and win a championship. And at all these moments that I can remember that I was like, now's the time. And then I let fear win and I just retreated and nobody knew except me. And so objectively, you look at my career, you played eight years, you did what every child would dream of doing. And I was like, no, I, I didn't reach my fullest potential because I didn't allow myself to step into my fullest potential. And so part of that journey when I left was me kind of running away from that. You know, I was like, okay, like I'm done with this. And there was a little part of me that was like, 
I just need to get away. And so when I had the insight that I'm going to build a community for former athletes, like I was just confronted with all those same fears of like, oh, wow, I can't lead. I'm not a leader. And so that started me on a journey about a year long of really working through these deeper stories. Like, where do they come from? How come I have so much fear around stepping into being a leader? And my whole idea of what a leader is, you know, I had this idea that a leader was somebody that had to have it perfect. Like if I was going to call someone out or lead a team, then I better have my shit together because everybody's going to be looking up to me. And I just never felt like worthy enough for that. And so I I started questioning all those stories. And I'm really grateful because when I met my wife, she's been an entrepreneur for 17 years. She started and sold multiple seven-figure companies and just really successful. And she's one of the best, most amazing leaders I've ever met. And so, you know, meeting her and being around her and witnessing her and the way she like leads her teams and just being able to talk to her about my own stories, I really reframed what a leader is, you know, and a leader is not this, this guy up top. That's this kind of like hierarchy. I think a leader is just, it's kind of this idea of, of the round table and the leader sits at the table with everybody on the team and their role is to remind everybody of what the vision is and to make sure that everybody's aligned with where we're going and empowering them to help create the vision. And so when I started understanding what real leadership is, I started stepping into that power. And so after really understanding that and doing some deeper work and kind of releasing these old stories and these fears and these limiting beliefs, I launched the Heart Collective last November. And, you know, it's been one wild journey since then. And, you know, for almost a year now, um, really trying to figure out how to make it click. And there's just a lot of different things with like messaging and what is it and what am I providing? And so over the last year, I've really kind of fine-tuned what that is. And so even just this last week, I'm kind of expanding the vision, uh, rebuilding the website and kind of evolving as a community. And what I've realized is I don't want to focus my energy on the transition because that was kind of my messaging is like helping transitioning athletes. And that's such a niche market. And then, you know, even more small for the guys that are ready for the work, because obviously there's this like process that they go through. And so what I've realized is I want to help leaders, visionaries, creatives, entrepreneurs, athletes, who are ready to make the world a better place and ready to step up into their fullest potential. And I can, through the journey I've been on and the tools I've developed, help them really evolve themselves, question their stories and really step into their true power. And so we're rebuilding the website right now. We're kind of opening it up to any kind of high achiever that's ready to, especially now when we're going through this collective transition, I truly feel that the world needs more healthy, masculine men who are warriors, who know how to lead, who can show up and help people navigate this wild transition that we're going through. I mean, over the next couple of years, over the couple, next couple of decades, like everything we know is going to change. Everything we know is going to be different, especially just with the technological advancements that we're going through. And so we're going into this unknown. And I think that's why there's so much fear because people are hanging on. Like, I want to, I just want things to get back to normal and it's not going to be normal. And we need people to step up and help create a new world that's better for everyone and so I'm creating a space for guys to come and support one another in that journey who are focused on and inspired to make the world a better place. And I do that by we are creating an online community where you can feel supported. Because one of the biggest things for my transition was getting involved in a couple of different communities of like-minded mm-hmm. people who can support me on this inner journey. And so creating an online community, and then we have a bunch of different offerings. I'm doing different workshops and cohort groups. And then we're doing in-person live experiential retreats for people to connect on and really excited about where it's headed. I love that. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll start maybe on the human side and then we can talk a little bit about the business side. Look, I think on the human side, man, it's it's one of those things that like we as men, and then I even think like professional athletes to an even bigger degree, I think there is a level of like show no weakness that is just sort of like beat into 
Western, you know, male culture. And it takes a level of self-reflection that maybe a lot of people don't take to say, how is that holding me back? Right. If I'm able to show vulnerability, I mean, I look for me personally, it started with being a content creator. And I think uh, similar to you of like just being okay, not being good at this. And over time, you're like, hey, there's some grace in that. There's some grace in having an honesty about a learner's mindset and, and diving into things and teaching yourself. And then it feels better as you get better over time. How do you know that someone is ready to receive the programming, so to speak, that, that you're putting together with Heart Collective? Or is it like self-selection? If somebody really reaches out and says they want to be a part of this, it means they're ready. Like, how, how do you gauge with the right audiences? I think it's really getting clear on the messaging of who we are. And I don't think we've been super clear. And that's why we've struggled with trying to get guys to do it. And I think it's what I've noticed is, you know, early on, it was, I think a lot of the guys that would have fit perfectly into the community saw it kind of as this self-help group that like we're focused on guys that are struggling. And we want to help people through transition, which was not the intention at all, but that was kind of the messaging that was coming through to them. And that's what I noticed. And that's why I've decided to evolve it because you know, as an entrepreneur, you got you got to figure out if you're really passionate about something and it doesn't work and you're just like, okay, it's it's failing. Like this is obviously a deeper purpose for me. And so I'm I'm evolving and trying to figure out how to make it click. And so this is just the next iteration. And I've gotten really clear on who I am, what I can offer, and you know, my own confidence in, you know, holding these kind of offerings and the work I've done has continued to grow. And so as I've realized who I am and what I can do and how I can help people it's expanded the vision. And so getting really clear on the messaging and I'm working with my team on that and, and getting really clear and, you know, creating content that really shows the energy of what we're building so that if someone sees it and they feel that call within their heart, like, I don't really know what this thing is, but for some reason I feel drawn to it, then, you know, that's what I realized. They have to step across the threshold. I can't force people to step into this. And so we're getting really clear with the messaging on like kind of calling to people's higher selves who are like ready. Like I feel called for something greater and, you know, hopefully that as we implement it will attract the right type of people. And, you know, just back to like the society and the culture of men growing up in this society, like it's nobody's fault, right? Like the patriarchy, it not only hurts women and the feminine, but it's, it's hurt men more, right? And we kind of blame like the old white man for what is created, but I think it's more of this energetic signature that we don't have healthy men. We don't have healthy role models. We don't know what it means to be a man. I think even in our society and culture with kind of the, the role models in the videos, like like Sylvester Stallone in Rambo, like the idea that he goes into the jungle and beats 30 bad guys by himself and he's victorious, like that's a false narrative. That's not really how you do it. And so it's this idea of like a warrior stands alone. And I, I love, and I think this is more of what we're trying to work towards is like the idea of the 300 right? They go and they stand side by side and they're only as strong as the man next to them. And so I believe a real warrior is only as good as the man next to him. And that's what, you know, the idea of leadership around what I've, I've evolved my reframing of leadership. It's like, we're all in this together. Like my role is a visionary, but I'm not any better than you. We're doing this together. And so really learning how to, and you know, we're told, you know, when we're young, like, you know, big boys don't cry, don't show emotion, don't show weakness, especially in athletics. And that's really, not healthy. And it, it takes a lot of courage to show up. And I think with what I'm building, it's really about creating safe spaces and safety for men to show up and feel comfortable enough and safe enough to let those guards down and let those walls down and really learn and, you know, remove the mask and be authentically themselves. And I believe there's, you know, a lot of deep work of every time when we're younger and we don't 
feels safe enough to process the emotions that come up and we're told, don't cry, it's not manly to cry, that energy is stored within us. And so it affects us long-term and it goes into our unconscious. And so creating safety and tools to access those emotions and feel safe enough to actually be vulnerable and release that and feel safe enough to cry. And then you can actually process in real time. And then you can actually show up and be present for the people around you and hold space for them and show up with your partnership and honor your woman instead of, you know, trying to fix everything. And I know I'm going deep into this, but there's a lot to it. And I think we're evolving as a society into this more balanced way. And in order for even females to feel honored. It's not about feminism, you know, and females. It's like, how do we create a healthy man so that we can hold the space for the females so we can rise together? And it all starts with that masculine safe container. I like the idea of it being very much community driven. And I think the aspect of like, look, part of what makes a good community work is everybody really knows their role, right? And and they know where they're needed. And there's a level of trust. I think good communities have trust that, hey, you're going to pick up your end of the deal. I'm going to pick up my end of the deal. How does that translate into a business when you take a community and then there's a level of like, look at, you know, reality of being an entrepreneur, it costs things to put on retreats, it costs things to create content. How do you think about building a business around the idea of building a, a community, which ostensibly could be free, but to do a good job with it, you know, you have to have to pay for things. Yeah, that's the big issue we're facing right now is how do I make this sustainable, right? Because yeah. currently it's, it is costing me money. So that's why we're evolving. Like, I don't want to just sit with it not working. I need to evolve it and see how I can make it click. And so this is the next iteration, which I'm feeling very good about. But there's this really new, cool new platform that's a community building platform called Circle. And I think it's really the missing piece we're looking for because as you build community, you can create paywalls. And so we can have a free community, create content that I'm talking about similar to the stuff I'm talking about to help give the tools and resources for people to show up and do the work on their own. And then we can create different tiers of paywalls for people that want more and more premium content with like the bottom high level being retreats and kind of one-on-one coaching and different group calls and master classes and stuff like that. And so we're trying to figure out what those offerings are and you know what numbers we need to get to as far as the community scale in order to make it sustainable. And then yeah, so it is a real challenge, but I think you know the world is heading towards you know this whole influencer society we've kind of created. I think, you know, and using all the different social platforms, I think where we're headed is more community driven. And I truly believe that any influencer or creator out there, instead of putting their content out for free, is going to try and gather them into their own internal community. Because with all the censorships and stuff that's going on, how much effort and energy it is to put something on Instagram. And then it, first of all, I've reflected a lot on Instagram. It takes so much energy to create a post, right? And it might be amazing. It might have a call to action. And somebody on their timeline, you got to think about the consumer. They're going through and they might see your post and read it and be like, wow, that's really amazing. And then what do they do? Flick it. And they go to the next one. And so you don't actually own their attention. You don't own the engagement. And for you to actually capture their attention is really challenging nowadays because people, there's so much going on. And then not only that, but then you have Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, all these things where your community is segmented in all these different platforms. You have to create content for them all. So Circle allows you to funnel all those people into your own internal community and you actually own the community. They can't censor you. It's an own internal space and then you actually own their attention. So if you create a a piece of content and everybody on your circle is engaging with it, then you're actually owning their attention and then you can funnel them down into different offerings. And so I think that is the future of what everybody's going to be working into. And everybody really is desiring community, is desired to feel belonging and seen and heard with like-minded people that they, you know, vibe with. 
And so yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of different community stuff popping up, not just in business, but in the influencer stuff and social stuff. And, you know, even locally, it's really exciting to see how everybody's kind of coming together to find their people. Can we click a level deeper on that? Because I've been dwelling on this idea and I'm not a religious person anymore. You know, I grew up maybe a little more religious than I am today. I do wonder if the decline of like religious institutions is what's feeding some of this growth. I don't know. I don't know if you thought about it that way. This seems more like a quantum coffee conversation, but like, right, at some level, it's like we still need belonging for many centuries that used to be a deity or some sort of church community. And now with a more secular population, at least here in the U.S., it, that void is filled with something new. I don't know if that's something you've thought about of being a new kind of church for people. Yeah, I think people have lost trust in the religious institutions for a wide variety of reasons. And I truly believe to find real fulfillment in life as a human, you need to have some kind of connection to that thing that is greater than yourself. And if you understand, like, we talked about the ego story of who I was, the identity of a football player. I was able to deconstruct that. It's still a piece of who I am, but I don't identify with it. I was able to deconstruct it. And I realized, oh, I'm not this story. I can create a new story of who I am. So who am I really? Who is Joe Hawley? If I can recreate myself and anybody that's gone through a big traumatic experience or a big transition in their life and they've come out the other side and they're completely changed because of it, like who are you really? And so there is this natural, there's something, whatever you call it, it doesn't really matter if you want to call it God, spirit, source, the universe. And I used to have a lot of resistance. I grew up in a Christian household. I used to have a lot of resistance to the word God and the idea of God of some man that's really judgmental and vengeful in the sky like that, that didn't vibe with me. And so that's part of my journey. I, went, I wanted to discover who, like, what is this experience of life? What is creation? And so that was all very much a part of my journey. And I truly believe you have to have a connection with something greater than yourself, even if it's nature. Like go out and look at the Grand Canyon and tell me there's not something greater at work here. Go look at the stars. And so what I think religion is, religion has been created. I've asked my mentor this question. Um, who's, he's had a profound impact on my life. And I asked like, what's the purpose of religion? And he's like, you know, I think it's, its purpose is to keep people from a direct experience of God. And it's the complete opposite of what people think it is. And if you think about it, you go into church and it's like people try to act all perfect. And like, it's really about uncovering who you are and being able to be vulnerable and loving all aspects of yourself. And so I think that's where everybody's headed. That's what everybody's thirsty for. It's like an actual connection to the divine without the labels. Because even to label it is to diminish its power. And so whatever that connection is for you, you know, and that's, you know, meditating, journaling, you know, really deep introspection on who you are is, in my opinion, the most important work and the work of our time as a collective. I love that. And uh, this is not the direction I thought the conversation was going to go, but I'm glad that we did go I there. seem to pull it um, up all the time. <laughs> it's, it's all good. I've heard some of your episodes, so I knew you were going to follow the rabbit hole down there with me. Where I would love to close, and we'd love to ask this question, and you can obviously take it any direction you want to go. What is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self, knowing what you know now? I'll tell them, like, you're worthy. Like you, you don't do anything for anyone else. Like go run your own race, do what you need to do to go live out your dream. And, you know, it's kind of a loaded question because it's like, this paradox of life that we live in because I have no regrets. And I know that the journey that I've been on has gotten me to where I'm at. And I'm so incredibly grateful for it. All the challenges, all the hardships, those are the best things that happened to me because they taught me who I am and they forced me outside of my comfort zone. But you know, one quote that I really love, it continues to unfold for me, is on the other side of fear, 
lies freedom. And I think it's fascinating because especially with what we're going through collectively right now, you know, so many people, you know, especially in this country, it's like freedom is our biggest ideal, right? It's like what built this country. But I don't think the majority of people really understand what freedom is. And if you say, oh, I wish I could do that, but, or you're so lucky because you had this, or I wish I could, but I'm not able to because, are you really free? Mm. And I truly believe that freedom is an internal journey. And in order to find real freedom, you have to go, first of all, have to have a curiosity and question your stories of why you think you can't. And I'm telling you, the only thing that, the only reason you can't is because you believe you can't. Because what's the difference between me and you right now in this present moment? It's the story of who we are and what we think we're capable of. And so those stories are very important. So to do self-reflection on the stories and to understand where you're not free, and in order to do that, and what I've done, when I first left football, it was this intuitive thing of like, I need to go out get out in the world and get outside my comfort zone. Because if you stay comfortable, it might feel good for a little while, but it's going to begin to suffocate you. And so as you expand your comfort zone, you realize, okay, like, why am I scared of this thing? I truly believe like if you're looking for your purpose or your meaning in life, and you have no idea where to go, sit down, find some stillness and think about what scares you the most and head towards that thing. And fear is the compass that leads us to freedom. And so if you really want to live this life fully and openly and connect with people in the most, more beautiful way than you can ever imagine and have real compassion for the world and evolve as a human and elevate your consciousness, is get outside your comfort zone. Go do things that make you uncomfortable. And as you expand your comfort zone, you realize, oh, wow. Nothing makes me uncomfortable. What is that? That's real freedom. Yeah, that's freedom. Joe, that is fantastic advice and, and sort of comes back to the place where we started our conversation, which is having the courage to be somebody new. And I think you found that, you know, leaving the NFL and now becoming an entrepreneur. And I'm hoping our listeners, wherever they're at, whether it's in their job, whether it's in entrepreneurship, whether it's investing, uh, they start to live their life with maybe a little bit less fear every day. So, Joe Hawley, thank you so much for joining us in the game plan today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. And if any of your listeners want to reach out, I'd love to hear from you guys and connect. And uh, yeah, thank you. Let's do it again soon. Awesome. That's it for this week's episode of The Game Plan with Jake Kapoor and Tim Cott. As always, thanks so much for listening. This episode was edited by Emmanuel Maestri. And our theme music is called Champ by Stuart Moore. Hey, did you know that you can watch as well as listen to The Game Plan? Head over to our YouTube page for tons of great video content. And if you're still listening, you must really love The Game Plan. Give us a like, retweet, or hey, better yet, just leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll see you next week on The Game Plan. <laughs>